On the inside of your uh, worship guide here, we've got the outline of the flow of the of the, the basic passage today. Uh, we probably won't quite get to all of it. Oh, okay, I, I know that we won't get to all of it. We'll be spending our time in the first uh, first section, first couple parts of that outline there, so you can follow along there. Also, the uh, <clears throat> the life group questions. And homework are on the bottom of the worship guide there. And even if you're not in a life group, uh, I would suggest for you to, to at least ask yourself those questions and work through them. Uh, we, we want that to be a way for us to continue throughout the week uh, as we go sent from here to apply the Word of God to our lives. Uh, if you're on a smartphone or an iPad, there is uh, an app that uh, you can get on version. Uh, the Bible texts are all there for you. And... Uh, want to uh, remind you of that, as well as the fact that in the in, inside the pew Bible racks, the pew racks, there are Bibles if you need one uh, to call your own. Uh, go ahead and take one of those, and we'll replace it next week. Uh, we, in fact, last week's second service had somebody take uh, one of those Bibles home with them, so uh, that's why we have them there. In case you weren't here last week, I want to just give you a little overview of where we're headed in the next uh, few sermon series, in case you weren't here. Uh, just, just so you kind of know where we're going with our uh, sermons here. We will be through Genesis 17 uh, by the end of next Sunday, and then we'll take a two-week break for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, and then we'll jump back into Genesis and uh, move at a pretty good clip in Genesis uh, to finish the last uh, number of chapters from chapters 18 to 30 in Genesis. And uh, we'll spend 12 more weeks, uh, including today, to in Genesis. And then what we'll do in the summer, uh, about the beginning of July, is, is start a series called Our Jerusalem. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to study the first five chapters of Acts and, and, and look at how the early church uh, lived out their witness to their local community, to their Jerusalem. So our Jerusalem, of course, is, is Greenville and, and Green County. So we want to sort of look at how Acts chapters 1 to 5 applies to us today, to our Jerusalem. <clears throat> we had a couple of cool ways uh, for you to participate in our preparation for that. We'll tell you some more details in the next uh, few weeks, probably. Uh, then, then when school starts in the fall, it's sort of a natural time for us uh, to launch a series called Family Life. Um, we want that series, Family Life, to be a real catalyst for some growth here at First Christian. Uh, so right on the heels of our, uh, our series in Acts 1 to 5 called Our Jerusalem, we want, to, we want to encourage us as the body to reach out to our Jerusalem to invite them to this fall series called Family Life. Uh, because it's the kind of series that hits right at the kinds of issues that, that lots of people in our world are dealing with. Uh, we're going to talk about being a part of the family of God and how it redefines all of our relationships in life. The family of God is a concept theologically that redefines everything we think of as family this side of heaven. Uh, we'll talk about marriage. We'll talk about parenting. We'll talk about grandparenting. We'll talk about uh, being single, widowed, the whole, the whole gamut. We will also especially hit men hard uh, during this season. We're going to hit men hard. Um, we're going to show the movie called Courageous. Has anybody here seen that movie yet? Hey, that's a lot more than I thought. That's good. Um, I have not. Um, but I will. 
Um, I, I hear from a lot of folks that it's, it's a great movie that will be uh, instructive for us about uh, this, this question of, of family life and, uh, and, and especially how to be a man who, who fathers your family uh, spiritually. So, so we're going to uh, watch that movie during that series and uh, continue to pray that we can reach men and uh, turn them into spiritual leaders and, and godly fathers and husbands. And then uh, finally, after that, uh, I'm not quite sure yet. Um, I, I talked last week about doing Revelation, and I think we will do Revelation um, eventually. Uh, but we might also do a study first of Jesus' life and ministry. So uh, our, our long series will have been Genesis, uh, perhaps a study of, of, of Jesus' life and ministry, and look at how he uh, made disciples in the world, and then we'll cover uh, Revelation and really blow some minds in Revelation. Uh, so we've got some great stuff planned uh, for, that could go for a couple of years, really, if we wanted it to. Um, so we're excited about, about those upcoming plans. Uh, if you've got a Bible handy, go ahead and hold it up, if you would, please. For the new folks, don't worry, we don't worship this, uh, but we do, uh, we do want to be people who stand under the authority of God's Word. So as a symbol of this for us, let's make this declaration together as the body of Christ today. It's showing on the screen. Here we go. This is the written word of God. It is the story of his creation and purpose. It is his, oh, my story. So this morning, I give myself wholeheartedly to hear from God and his word that I might be in tune with his purposes. Let's pray. Lord God, indeed, we, we want to be people this morning who, uh, who sit under the authority of your word in our lives. We, we want, with, with all of our hearts, to hear from you today. We want to be uh, in tune with your purposes for our life. We ask, Father, that because of our time together, that, that all that we do in this service today, as we sing and as we pray, as we shake hands and and, and catch up with friends. And now as we dive into your word, we ask that all these various elements would come together in a way that through your spirit uh, equips us and, and teaches us. Father, before we, before we look at your word, we want to be uh, laid bare before you with, with open hearts and minds that acknowledge First and foremost, Lord, that, that you are sovereign God. And that we were created by you for your purposes. And so as we, as we look into these stories of those who have followed you before us, we ask that you would instruct us, that you would make us people of faith, that we would see with with eyes and hearts that, that are informed by your spirit and not the spirit of this age or this world that so easily attracts us. So, Father, we want to be open before you today that you would do heart surgery on us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I'll just give you a little, little recap. Uh, last week at the beginning, we, we talked about how we spent... Uh, a lot of time on 11 chapters, 
and it covered many, many generations. And, and last week we made the turn in Genesis from chapter 11 to chapter 12. And that's where, instead of this sort of primeval history, we call it the first age, uh, we, we go to what we call the patriarchal history, the history of the fathers of the faith. And, and so from Genesis 12 to 50, we're going to spend a shorter amount of time on uh, a lot more of Scripture uh, in in, uh, in that it, it unpacks the story of four of the fathers. And so we're going from from uh, 18 weeks, 11 chapters, many generations. Now we're spending 13 weeks on 38 chapters with four generations of the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And, and, and we continue the story with Abram today, whose name, as we, we talked about last week, means high or exalted father. So this patriarchal, this fatherly history begins with Abram, who is an exalted father. We pick up his story in chapter 13, verse 5. Read with me there for uh, a minute. 13, verse 5 is where we pick up the story of Abram and Lot as they separate. It says, verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. We'll just go through verse 7 here. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And then it finishes by telling us that at that time, there were Canaanites and Perizzites who were dwelling in the land. Look at verse 5 here again for a second. It says, Lot who went with Abram. Remember last week we noted that, uh, that Abram is Lot's uncle. Lot is nephew to Abram. And, and Lot is following Abram on his travels. Remember we talked about how God called him from back when he was with Terah, his father, from Ur all the way to Haran where his father Terah dies. And then they go down to Canaan. So they went from the land of Canaan uh, at the end of last week. We, we looked for just a second about this. Uh, because of the famine in the land, from Shechem, the land of Canaan, this is uh, down here where, where Abram and uh, Lot eventually traveled to get away from the famine uh, because there was uh, food there. And at this point, they're traveling back. So, so long story short, Abram is going all over the place, and Lot and his family are following Abram. Okay? One thing we need to understand about this relationship with Abram and Lot that is going on is a little different than how we think about family relationships today. Uh, one thing we need to understand is that this is a culture where they took extremely seriously the idea that, that everyone had to have uh, a father. Okay? Everyone had to have a father. They took this so seriously that when one father died, his brother or another in the family would sort of take over for him. And so, so because, because Abram and Haran were brothers, uh, remember Haran was, was Lot's uh, father. When Haran died, Abram took over as man of the house. And so Lot's family was following along because Abram was the man of the house at this point. So, so Lot was following Abram as the patriarch of the family. And then it says that Lot also had flocks and herds and tents there in verse 5. In other words, uh, Abram and Lot were, were, were quite wealthy. They were quite rich. 
we already know that Abram was rich because of verse 3 earlier on. Apparently they were so rich in flocks and herds and tents that verse 6, the land could not support both of them dwelling together. The land could not support both of them dwelling together. This is the conflict of the passage. This is the problem of the story today. Beginning of verse 6 here, the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were, were so great that they could not dwell uh, together. Um, I, I hate when that happens. Like, you know, I've got so much. I need to move. Um, the closest thing to that that I have is when I say to my neighbor, I'm sorry that my weeds are in your lawn. Uh, This is how the conflict sort of manifests itself in verse 7. It says, There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And then it notes for us that at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were were dwelling in the land. So so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, by themselves, Abram and Lot probably could have dealt with this problem of being too rich. They probably could have dealt with this just fine between themselves. You know, the, the herdsmen over here and the herdsmen over here, let's just get this taken care of, and, and we'll tell you how to, to operate, and, and this is what you need to do to make sure things work. Uh, they probably could have dealt with this just fine between themselves, but there were others living in the land at the time. Uh, perhaps Abram was worried that, that the riches were, were so great that uh, the Canaanites and the Perizzites would attack them and try to take possessions and overtake their people. That was a, that was a real fear, as we see later on in the passage. Uh, Perhaps they were worried about, about their witness to the surrounding culture. You know, they're being sent into this land on a mission for God. And, and, and these people in the land are seeing the strife between, uh, between Lot and Abram's people. And so perhaps they were worried about their witness to the surrounding culture. Uh, we don't really know uh, any more other than to say that uh, there was a conflict, there was a, a problem, and, and uh, it was a problem that meant Something needed to be done about it, verse 8. And that's where we come to the choice. Verse 8, chapter 13. We'll just read a couple of these, uh, these verses here and, and talk about them. Verse 8, it says, then, then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. And then he says, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Look at verses 8 and 9 here. It says, Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen, between your herdsmen, for we are family, we're kinsmen. They don't want to have unnecessary conflict between them, of course. So so Abram tries to resolve the issue, and, and this... This is where it starts to get interesting. Verse 9, Abram asks, rhetorically he asks, is not the whole land before you? Abram's rhetorical question is like saying, hey, we've got, we've got all this land available to us. Take your pick, Lot. But note very carefully. That that this is not just a statement about geography. This is not just a statement about what's available to us as our options geographically. This is a statement of Abram's faith in God. This, This 
statement, this rhetorical question, tells us more about Abram's disposition than it does about the geographical circumstances. It's like Abram is saying, regardless of where you or I go, God's the one taking us. You see, Abram believed God's promise of giving him and his offspring the land. Look back at 12.1. This is the call of Abram. Abram believed this call very palpably. It says this in 12.1. Go from your country and your land and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Uh, Verses 1 to 3 in chapter 12 here are key passages of Scripture to refer back to uh, throughout all the Scripture. So, so Abram so clearly, so, so tangibly and palpably believed God's promise of the land that when conflict arose about that very land, instead of getting territorial, he very calmly asks Lot, is not the whole land before you? Here we are thousands of years later. And this very area is the most disputed land in the history of the earth. And there is still conflict that could use some calm Abram faith in the promise of God. There's plenty of room, he says. God's got this. Everything's going to be fine. Relax. Make a choice. You see, in the face of conflict... Faith responds with hope in God's plans. In the face of conflict, faith responds with hope in God's plans. This isn't a passive indifference by Abram. It's calm assurance of God's future action. It's hope. It's it's faithful living now in the knowledge that God's direction later trumps whatever my circumstance. So in calm assurance, Abram says, verse 9, he says to Lot, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you take the right, I'll go to the left. Abram's faith in God is strong enough that he can just say, All right, Lot, wherever you want to go is fine. I don't need to choose my path. God's choosing it. Go ahead and choose whichever direction, and I'll be fine going the other one because I have hope and faith in who's taking me wherever it is that I'm going. Again, this is not a statement about geography or their their physical options as much as it is a statement of faith by Abram. He's so secure in God's call to go wherever God leads in his Genesis 128 mission that it doesn't matter which direction he goes. By the way, the the New Testament has the, the Great Commission. Perhaps we should call this the Genesis 128 mission. As we've talked about, the Great Commission has its roots in creation. We've talked about that a number of times in the last number of weeks. So I'm going to call this our Genesis 128 mission. The call of God to be fruitful and multiply. The call of God to fill the earth and to subdue it. In other words, to fill the earth with the glory of God is the Genesis 128 mission for which we were all creation created. So, so back to Abram. 
Abram is so secure in God's call to go wherever he leads. Hebrews 11 even says, by faith, in other words, the way that Abram obeyed, the means of his obedience, by faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the promise. For he was looking forward, there's the hope, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Here, now, you can have it. I know where I'm headed. Abram, even in early Genesis, understood that faith meant hopefully living in the now because you know the not yet. He is so secure in God's call to go wherever God leads in this Genesis 1:28 mission that it doesn't matter where Lot goes. It doesn't matter where he goes. Abram knows he is in God's will because here's the kicker. Faithfully living out our Genesis 1:28 mission doesn't depend a hill of beans on our outward circumstances. Don't miss this one truth because it's worth the price of admission today. Because it, it, it flies in the face of everything you've been taught by the world. It flies in the face of well-meaning people who disciple you into worldly success as if the structures of this world are worth holding on to. And seeking direction from. Faithfully living out your Genesis 128 mission does not depend one iota on your outward circumstances. You see, we're a people. We're a people from birth who love to look at the outside who love to seek by sight instead of by faith. Lot is the perfect example early on in Scripture of somebody who does not live by spirit, who does not live by the call of God. He will later on, but he will because it's, it's practically purgatory for him to get there. We'll look at that later on. But, but we are people who are so tempted by sight and not by faith. That we make decision after decision after decision after decision about the call of the world on our lives. The call of other people on our lives. The call of our families on our lives. Why do you think Jesus comes later and says, forget all of that. Faithfully following my call is doing what I've called you to. It's your Genesis 128 mission, and it's the only thing that will ever satisfy you. I have a good friend whose name is Dan Smither. I want to show you a picture of him here. A good friend in college whose name was Dan Smither. He, he grew up in inner city Detroit. He was uh, the lone white kid in, in a culture uh, that didn't look like him on the outside. Uh, I could tell in college that he didn't have much money, <laughs> and, uh, and he never had. And most of my friends uh, from college 
were from well-to-do families with, with lots of resources. And today my friend Dan has, has less now than he had then when he didn't have a whole lot. What he is doing is he's heading up a, a ministry in South Africa to, to hundreds and hundreds of children who are coming from the worst possible circumstances that any of us could imagine when it comes to the outward things and resources. But I talk with Nan enough to know, and I see his reports from the field, and I get his email, and I read his Facebook posts. That guy loves God and doesn't matter what happens on the outside. And he is as happy as a lark. Happy being in the sweet spot of where God has him because he knows well that none of his satisfaction has to do with the outward circumstances. But every single bit of his life is dependent on whether or not God has him in the place where he wants him. Dan Smither gets it. Because faithfully fulfilling the call of God has nothing to do with your outward circumstances. Thanks. If you see life with the eyes of faith, then you know this truth well. This truth that, that faithfulness doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with the disposition of your heart. So don't look up at God. And start with the excuses as to why we can't faithfully go where he leads us. But, but I don't have a father who followed God like Abram's father. I didn't see it in my father. I don't have the riches or the resources or the wealth to give like I, like I want. I can't, I can't go to, to another culture or, or people or across the room to talk to somebody. I didn't. I don't. I can't. The Bible has a word for that way of thinking and living. And the word is flesh. The word is flesh. Those, those outward ways of seeing our life. The outward concerns that, that seem to hinder us from doing what God's already called us to do and equipped us to do. Look at verse 10. It sounds a lot like Lot. Lot lifted up his eyes. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was, was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom. And Gomorrah. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. There's, there's, the, there's this conflict between them, and Scripture is telling us here very clearly that, that Lot's choice was dependent upon what he saw. Lot's choice was dependent upon the outward circumstances. In contrast to Abram, who was fine with whatever God had for him, Lot went with what he saw, with what he determined based on what he saw on the outside. It doesn't say here, Lot lifted up his eyes after praying and saw. How often are we like Lot? When, 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 called to make a, when 
called to make a choice. How often do we seek God's guidance first? How often, how often are we guided by a whole set of concerns that are about seeing with the eyes, about, about values of the world's standards, seeing based on my body's concerns, my flesh, my needs? Scripture is being careful, careful here to point out that Lot's choices are being guided by flesh instead of faith. So Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. What if, what if he was on mission, like a, like a Dan Smither, and he said, I see that the evil is great, and, and a representative of the goodness and the glory of God needs to be there for the sake of the mission. That's not what we read. We read, he saw that it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord. This was appetizing to him. So, verse 11, so looking through the motivation of flesh instead of faith, Lot chose for himself. Now we see clearly why he chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and he journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. In verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Verse 13 is a, is a warning for what happens later in, in Genesis. Uh, but it also points out that, that Lot knew what he was choosing. Lot knew what he was choosing. Coupled with the statement at the end of verse 10, Verse 13 makes it clear that Lot knew full well where he was headed and why. And, and God will teach him the lesson of faith the hard way later on. But verse 14, this is where God begins to reiterate. He restates his problem to, I'm sorry, his promise to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. God's speech here in verse 14 is a direct contrast to how it describes Lot. He says to Abram, lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are, and then God says, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. It reminds us of the beginning of, of chapter 12. I will do these things. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if, no, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. It's like he's saying, go, go check this out. All of this land will be your possession. So, verse 18, Abram responds in faith. And he shows his faith in God's covenant promise by, by pitching his tent there and worshiping. Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Later on in chapter 14, Lot is held captive, and, and then Abram goes to, to have to rescue him. And, uh, God and God also rescues Lot later on. If faithfully following the call of God is not about the worldly resources or the outward circumstances of our life, or the, or, the, or the place within we find, in which we find ourselves, whether it's conflict or not. If, if faithfulness in following God has nothing to do 
with those outward circumstances, then how do you answer the question that Abram is answering through God's leading? How do you answer the question of, of what is the Canaan to which God has called you? What is the Genesis 128 mission for you? How does that actually work itself out in your life? Specifically, there are names and, and faces to that question. What does it look like for you to fill the earth with the glory of God? How does that work by the gifts God's already given to you? It can be your own family. But there's, there, there's someone, somewhere, you may not even know who or, or where, but there is someone, somewhere, who, who needs you to follow God by faith instead of the call of self by flesh or by sight. So, so how are you, how are we being guided by flesh or sight in ways that hinder that progress, so that you can't answer that question about the specifics of your Genesis 128 mission. What are the things hindering your ability to see that by faith? I, I don't have that specific answer for you in those questions. But you, with the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God, should. God has he's called us all as the body of Christ to follow by that kind of faith and not by sight. He's called us to a mission that needs none of the things that we would easily and that the world would call resources or that we in our flesh would call resources. He's called us all to that same task. May, may our relationship here with one another, may we become the kind of church where our relationship with one another and with God is, is rich and vibrant enough so that we support and encourage and resource one another on that mission. That's the goal for us, is to be a Genesis 128 mission kind of church where we are crawling with people who care about the glory of God and the call to fulfill that mission and be made joyful by it than any other call that we could possibly be tempted with. Let's pray.